Peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Roundtree, and you're tuned into episode 37 of Hashtag You Good Man. Again, I'm, I'm always blessed to have special people with whom I, for whom I look up to, uh, to call on a podcast. And again, this week is, is no different. Uh, we have Mr. Alfred Edmonds, who joined us two weeks ago. But, you know, listen, things happen, right? Things happen, in, in, especially in the Instagram world. And so the video didn't save, but I, that also gives us the opportunity to go even deeper into the conversation for those who were there and for those who aren't. You definitely missed something that was amazing. So I'm just going to give a, a brief overview of Mr. Evans, uh, allow him to talk a little about, about who he is and what it is that he does, and then we're just going to get right to the questions. So we have Mr. Elfin Evans Jr., senior vice president, executive editor at large of Black Enterprise. He's a content leader and co-creator of the Be Modern Man campaign, which is how I, I came to meet this, this amazing man, um, who I, last time I said he's my mentor in my head, he was like, all right, get rid of the in my head part. So my mentor, Mr. Alfred Edmonds, um, he is also the lead instructor of the Destination Success Matters Mentor Masterclass Series, which is taking place next week in Newark, New Jersey. We're going to let you plug that because sure you have more seats open. Yeah, we have some seats open, so no people should definitely okay. roll in for that. Absolutely. Okay, okay, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the perks that come with that uh, as well. He's in business with his wife, who's also again his business partner. They lead A to Z Personal Growth Enterprises, the parent company of Grown Zone Relationship Education, which really focuses on healthy relationships and what healthy relationships look like. Again, for those who weren't present for the last one, we really went in depth as far as to what healthy relationships look like, especially for men of color, and why it could potentially take us so long to get to the point of, of that recognition and that awareness of why it's so important. And last but not least, uh, you know, one of the things that, again, built our relationship and, you know, is a foundation in the idea of, of physical wellness, right, outside of mental wellness, which is an amazing thing, but physical wellness, we both are competitive bodybuilders. I saw that you... You have signed up for your first show of the season, which is coming at the end of this month, correct? Yep, June 22nd. I'm, I've got June. less than three weeks to go, so you know what that means in terms of what I can eat and what I can't eat. <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets really – it gets strict. Yeah, it gets no strict. And, and like the ghetto boys say, your mom start playing tricks with you, right? <laughs> True. For real. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, again, you know, I'm honored to, to have Mr. Alfred Edmonds on the podcast. So, how you feeling today? I am feeling great. You know, man, every day it's good to be me. Everybody who knows me knows this is my philosophy of life. So, no, it's, yeah. it's really good. I'm really happy. I'm always happy to talk to you. And so I know we had technical difficulties with the first one, but I wasn't even mad about that, man. You know, we <laughs> to talk again. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Such, you know, I'm such a huge believer and fan and what you do and, and why you do it. So it's just an honor to be able to talk to you, man. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So we're going to get right into it, and, and we're actually going to veer off from the questions a little bit. When they see us, when they see us, I didn't get a chance to read your, read your article, but I want you to, I want you to give your thoughts, because I, I believe we are in line. I saw some of your social media posts with regards to the, for the Netflix film made by Ava DuVernay mm -hmm. with regards to the Central Park Five. So what are your thoughts on, on when they see us? Well, that, that, that post that I just wrote is still at uh, blackenterprise.com on the men's channel. If you want to check it out, blackenterprise.com forward slash men. Um, it's really relevant to what you do, what we believe about mental health and, and mental health for black men in particular, black people. Um, and that is my point of right now, I do not choose to watch uh, that uh, miniseries as important as it is, as a big a fan as I am of Ava DuVernay, uh, because... I don't think it would be good for my own mental health. And, and, and I think we as black people have been acculturated to choose trauma, whether we should or we shouldn't. In other words, I, I made a point of leading off in the piece that if I were still raising minor children, I'd be in front of the TV with them watching that because I think uh, enduring and being re-traumatized is a, is a price you kind of got to pay to prepare your kids and other young people in this case mm for what they're going to, you know, you, know you, you can have your kids walking around naive about what could happen. And, and, and so they need to be equipped to survive. And I use this as an yeah. example. My mother, when Roots came out in 1977, I was 17 years old. I was the oldest of four kids. And my mother made us sit down. That was the first time we got to stay up past our bedtime. As a matter of fact, on a school <laughs> night. 
she was like, no, you're going to watch every episode of Roots because she was um, raised in the rural, or born in the rural South, um, you know, and there were things that she couldn't really communicate to us about the trauma she'd experienced raising us that watching Roots, as hard as it was for her, um, she felt was necessary for us. So I get it. I'm not, I, I was, I'm definitely not saying people shouldn't go see it. On the yeah. flip side, I think what black people need permission to do that we don't give ourselves permission to do and the rest of the world doesn't give us permission to do is to not do things that re-traumatize us unless we have a damn good reason to do it. And, yeah. you know, um, I'm easily emotionally affected by films, both positively and negatively. Um, so if I don't think a film is going to uh, be good for my spirit and my mind, I'm not going to watch it just to watch it. And, and in this yeah. case, um, I, li I lived through the whole Central Park Five thing. I was there. I was a young black male in the city during that time. You guys, if you didn't live through that, you don't know what that meant, not just for the five young men that were affected, but every black male, especially young black males, in that city in terms of the siege mentality that we were under when the, the, the narrative was you know, young black men in groups, black and brown men, boys, were wilding so-called running in, in packs through the city attacking people. And, and what that yeah. meant for the policing, what that meant for just every encounter could have been an explosive encounter if, just because you're, you know, the, the perception is that if you're a young black man and you're not wearing a suit and tie, um, and I didn't know, if we're, you know, you know how it is. It, it, there are some yeah, that are yeah. So that wasn't a good time. That was traumatizing for most black men who grew up in that in that area. I was in my um, uh, late 20s, I think, at that point. Um, you know, and so my thing was, if I had kids or if I had some white friends that would white, watch it with me, I don't. <laughs> I would watch it with them because they need to see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't need to see it. And, and my whole thing about films like that is that the people who most need to see it are the people who are who are totally in denial about when we say we're under siege, we're under yeah. stress, we can't trust the media because that was a media assassination as it was much as it was a police assassination. So anyway, yeah. to, to not drag it out, my point is black people need to be to take permission, the weight to be given it, that if you think something, a choice is going to, is, is that you need to make a choice to protect your mental health, make that choice, no matter what people say. You know, yeah. and, 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 and we've been taught that it's almost part of our cultural responsibility to embrace trauma and suffering because that's just who we are and what we do. And I don't, I don't, exactly. I used to buy into that too, but I don't know. Yeah. No, and, and I definitely understand and respect your perspective with regards to why somebody would watch it. Um, I just came from the barbershop and the woman who works there, she, she has a 42 year old daughter. And so that shows how, how old she is. And she was like, she watched the first two episodes because even though she knew about it, uh, she still lived relatively a sheltered life. Yeah. Um, and so with that, she was aware of the situation, but she wasn't aware of it to the depths of of what they of what the film showed. And for that, I, I completely understand. I, I think for me, it's first, where's the balance, right? Like, mm -hmm. we, we promote these films, we promote a lot of things with regards to our experience, and they're usually traumatic experiences. Like, how many slave movies are we going to have? Oh, yeah. How, many, how many movies are we going to have that talk about the trauma that we've experienced? Uh, you know, I, I coined the phrase inner trauma. It's not entertainment, it's truly inner trauma. When we talk about a lot of our, uh, a lot of the things that we love as black folk, I made a post about it's, it stems from traumatic, unhealthy, or, you know, or, or isms type of situation. So we talk about soul food. Soul food comes from slavery and have to make something out of nothing, yeah. right? And so we take that with us, which has unhealthy physical effects. We talk about hip-hop was birthed out of, out of poverty, out of isms, um, out of being outcast. We, we cling to hip-hop. Now it's our, you know, our, our movies, our films, you know, as far back as we can go. And it's just like, it gets frustrating for me is because it's just like, you know, when can we have something where we're just, where we can just be, where we're not overcoming something, right? Where we're not yep. beating the odds, where we're not having our brains beat in. When we talk about, you know, these are hood classics. When we talk about hood classics, when John Singleton died, we're talking about the, the trauma of the black boy experience, menace yeah. to society, boys in the hood, baby boy. And so for me, it was just like, 
you know, I'm empathetic to, you know, to the people who definitely had the experience that. And for those who are watching it, who, who really had, have no idea about, again, about the black experience. But I'm like, you know, it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. So if I have, if, if somebody has to watch that truly to get an understanding of the systems that negatively impact us, especially as black men, Oh, there, there's a problem there in my eyes, right? Because right. we have so many examples. We have Philando Castile. We have, they're coming out with a movie based on Laquan McDonald. It's called 16 Shots. That comes out at the end of the month on yeah, Showtime. Yeah. Like, we have all of these experiences. And, 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 and part of the we, point that I made in the post, and I, I dropped even some of these names, Central Park Five, as horrible as what happened to them, and I would say us as young black men in New York City, it's not a new revelation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The Scottsboro Boys, the Groveland Four down in Florida, Genesis. I mean, you every you know almost five to seven years, there's an example of some group of black and brown boys being quote unquote railroaded. You know, if not you know killed. Uh, and so it's not that the story shouldn't be told. I, I told you, don't get me wrong. The story should be told. What Ava, what Ava DuVernay and, and, and the, the, the young men who are, who are the direct victims of, of the whole wilding um, accusations and, and the, and the uh, conviction and police misconduct and all of that, the story needs to be told. The question becomes, to your point, at what point do you as a black person get to decide which of these stories you need to see and which ones you don't? I never yeah. saw 12 Years a Slave, not because I, I'm sure it was a great movie, but after, you know, like I saw Roots, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> once sure you see Roots, it. you see yeah, it all. I don't need to see yeah. another one. I saw Boys <laughs> yeah. in the Hood once because I was, I, I get, again, I get emotional of him. I was so emotional about Boys in the Hood that I can only, I'd only seen it one time. I love that movie, but I only can see yeah. it once. And every time it comes on again, I ask myself, am I ready to really go to that space right now? And, and I haven't seen most of the other hood. I haven't seen Menace to Society because I'm like, boys in the hood, I get, I get, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure there were different stories. But to your point, how many versions of the same, uh, listen, it, it, you should watch content for education or entertainment. So yeah. I, I look at a movie and I'm like, am I going to really learn something that's different than my current understanding of the world? If the answer is no, then I'm watching it for entertainment value. And I don't get, I don't feel entertained by looking at the trauma that I'm already living in the day to day. Like I don't need to go to a movie <laughs> to see the trauma. The trauma, like you yeah. said, is all around us. Every time we turn on the news, every time we, you know, somebody else got shot and that shouldn't have been shot. Somebody else. So it's it, it's a matter of again. I don't. I, 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 I the film is doing well. It's going to do well. I expect Ava to win a whole bunch of awards for it. I think it's wonderful that 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 it was done. But I think each black person and each human being in general has a right to decide whether, you know, uh, going back to a traumatizing experience for any reason is good for them or not. Uh, and I used an example in, in a comment on Facebook um, earlier today. My wife, Zara, is a Katrina survivor. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't expect her. In fact, we don't even call her a Katrina survivor because we, we don't use that term. But my point is she experienced Katrina directly. When the anniversaries roll around and there's all these tributes and documentaries and stuff on Katrina, who would I look like saying, baby, we need to sit down and watch this all day? Yeah. Why should she be re-traumatized by, by an experience that, that you know, she, she pretty much lost everything she had. And for a point, she thought she lost family members. It turned out, thank God, she hadn't. And so my thing is, if a person is going to re-experience trauma, they should have a really good reason. If, if, if you're a, a victim of sexual assault, yeah, you might re-experience, you might go to court and testify knowing you're going to re-experience the trauma to testify, but your, your reasoning is you want to hold the person accountable for what you were done. But you yeah. don't want to sit at the family barbecue talking about, let me tell you what it was like when I got sexually yeah. assaulted. Yeah. So you, you, we have to have a right to protect our mental health. That's my bottom line. And, and, and people that, are taught we don't have that right. Facts. Facts. You know, I think it's you know equally as important because I have gotten into conversations with individuals and say, "Listen, you don't have to watch this." The same thing you were saying. You know, when I read the article about about Ava providing grief counselors, and that was just like, you know, wow, she recognized the gravity of this. However, do we recognize what's happening? Exactly. Right. So 
do we have a grief counselor? Do we have a support system that we can have a have, we can converse with about what we just experienced? Um, you know, to bring it closer to home. Within the last forty-eight hours or so, um, I didn't know that I knew um, somebody that had killed somebody. Right, a, a young—he's a young kid, and so it's a very high-profile case here in Philadelphia. And again, when we talk about that trauma, that was traumatic for me once he told me what happened and what he's currently facing um, once he goes to trial in October. And it's just like, man, you know, again, one of the reasons why I don't watch it, because this is what I experience on a daily basis yes. um, and just being black in America. And so yes. here I am having to have this conversation with this young man. So I need my entertainment to, I can't have the lines blurred. Right? Right, I need right. my entertainment to be my entertainment. I need that to be my 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 something that I use as a coping strategy, not something that I use to continue to evoke uh, undesirable thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Right, right. right. So, so I, I think is I think it's critical. And I, I do want to get back to that point. If somebody is watching this and they're saying, you know, they do want to watch it, it it's important to have a conversation with somebody else about it. You shouldn't yeah. be doing this alone. This is as some, especially something like this, right? Um, when we share our experiences, that's a great way for us to to help work through and understand and really feel our way through the uncomfortable things that that, that uncomfortable things that might come up during this period of time. So I definitely want to encourage somebody to really yeah. have conversations with others. Reach out if you know somebody has watched it. Yo, how you feeling? What are your thoughts on it? Just so they're not sitting there harboring that inside. Because then, again, it begins to eat you from the inside out. So it's it's so critical. Yeah, and, and so even critical. even in terms of when, when like I, in the article I said, I'm not saying I will never, ever, ever watch it. There may be a reason, an occasion where I decide to watch it. But when I have to watch something like that, I got to think about, okay, what am I going to be doing afterwards? Like, uh, you know, I might need space. I may not need to be around people. You know what I'm saying? Don't just yeah. watch it like it's a piece of content and you're just going on with your day. I've seen people yeah. all over Facebook who responded to my post saying they tried to watch it and after the first episode, they were just a wreck. They couldn't even go to work or they couldn't deal with their family. So I'm just saying we need to take it lightly. Uh, I mean, we should take seriously that what we choose to consume, just like with food, if you know something's going to give you an upset stomach <laughs> or you know something is, you're allergic to something, don't just eat it because everybody says this is what we all eat and let's eat. You have a right to say, you know, I'm not going to have a serving of that or I'm going to have less of that or I'm going to eat it in smaller portions or I'm not going to eat it at all. And I feel the same way about that when it comes to consuming content and media. You have a right to decide what's um, going to be healthy for you in the short run or the long run. And around you or or having people have conversations with, as opposed to just, you know, a, a brother said to me on Facebook yesterday, he said, you know, I watched it and I survived. And I'm like, we need to set a higher standard than, <laughs> than we survive. survive. You yeah, know, we've been doing that for long you. enough. We've been we surviving for long enough. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It didn't kill you, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. In fact, one of the things that <laughs> when I counseled counsel some of our clients, and it was that revelation I had for myself, uh, and I, I, some of my other mentees have heard me tell them this when, they, when I think they're not giving up self-care to themselves. I'm like, even though Superman can take bullets, he still recognizes being shot at as a hostile act. He doesn't just say, I can take it, shoot at yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> it's because it's not right that he, you know, so, I, you know, we, we've been so, you know, acculturated as black people, um, black men and black women, as almost superhuman because of the abuse that we've been able to endure and like you said overcome these movies about overcoming that doesn't make the abuse right and we shouldn't take pride in accepting the abuse you know especially yeah. since bullets bounce off of you and injure other people who can't take the bullet and and that's what i wanted to get into next just about you know how our experiences really impact our relationships right and especially if we don't have healthy ways to cope then we're talking about it's not only hurting us, but it's hurting our friends, it's hurting our family, it's hurting our our, inter, our intimate relationships. So if you could just speak on that, especially being an expert with regards to, to relationships. 
Well, everything starts with, with the health of your relationship with yourself. And you know, um, both of us have our, 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 our regular regimen of uh, um, what I call mental fitness, other people call therapy. You know, I have a yeah. personal trainer and coach for my physical fitness, and I have a therapist who's my personal trainer and coach for my mental fitness that I see every week. Um, and my, my point with that, with black people in particular, black men in particular, but people in general, is that you need to have a healthy foundation, a healthy relationship with yourself. You know, you, you, and that doesn't happen just because you look in the mirror and you like what you look like, or you, yeah. you got a you got a great body, or you you know your, your mama told them that you, they loved you. Or it, your relationship with yourself is something you have to actively build. And if that relationship is unhealthy, if you dislike yourself for some reason, or you think yourself is of yourself is inadequate or incomplete or not enough or or shamed or guilty or not good enough. That is going to poison every other relationship you have, whether you, whether you, you know, intend it or not, with your children, with your significant other, with other family members. In fact, much of the trauma that you are born into is unresolved trauma of people who love you, inflict, who inflicted their trauma on you Indeed. practically from Indeed. birth. And you don't even understand why you're tripping. Um, there's a great book. I can't remember the author, but I would recommend it. It's called It Didn't Start With You. And it talks about you're born with a certain amount of trauma that is practically genetically in you from previous generations trauma, and which is absolutely true with, with you know, it's easy to see with black people and Jewish people who are, who are you know, descendants of Holocaust survivors. So yeah. you have to really be serious and intentional and, and redefine part of being grown is being intentional about parenting yourself. Um, and part of parenting yourself is not to just pretend that the trauma doesn't exist or, or pray it away. And, and, you know, I'm a man of faith. I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah. I believe in the Lord and I pray. But, you know, take it to the Lord. I thank the Lord for my therapist because that was the tool <laughs> he granted me with yeah. to work through these issues. So, so I, I just, I'm just very passionate about this idea that if your foundational relationship with yourself is unhealthy and we've been taught that somehow some other person you know, your, your soulmate, you're going to find your soulmate and they're going to make it complete and they're going to make it all right. It, it, it's the, it's, it's, that belief system is the chief reason why most relationships are unhealthy. Because mm. we, think, we, we think if we take an unhealthy person and find a healthy person, the healthy person is going to fix that the unhealthy gonna, person. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Where we know that what happens is the unhealthy person makes the healthy person sick. So Exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. So or you, you wonder why you keep running through healthy, healthy people. Right. Yeah. And where nobody's right. staying. Nobody's staying around. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's so important that you say that because it is critical that we have this, we have this coming to God moment about self. And it, it can be scary. I know for me personally, it's been within the last few years where I had that I can no longer, yes, I've experienced uh, trauma, in, you know, throughout my life, whether it's interaction with the police or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being bullied at, at various points in life. But at some point, you know, I use the phrase, you know, there's empathy with accountability, right? So I can have empathy for, for my experience. I can have empathy for somebody else's experience that got them to this point. However, at some point, if we, if we really want to live a, a healthy, fruitful, and productive life and truly thrive, then we need to hold ourselves accountable. And we yeah, need to hold ourselves accountable, accountable by continuing to grow. Uh, once yeah. we get to a point where, where we feel like we can't learn anymore, then, you know, is life really worth living at that point? Well, right? you're not living at that point. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I urge, urge your, your uh, constituents, your listeners to go to GrownZone.com because, you know, we tell, we tell people our book, Loving in the Grown Zone, is actually a personal growth book disguised as a relationship book. Because one of the key principles to your point is that I, we believe that your main purpose as a human being, no matter who you are, what your background is, and it is, it's expressed differently in each life because we're individual, is to grow, to increase your capacity to grow and to increase your capacity to love. And that once you stop that, you're, you've achieved a state of arrested development and now you're, you're, you're regressing. because you're either, you're either growing or you're receding. There's no, you know, there's no in-between. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. or the in-between is dead because... Only inanimate objects that don't grow, chairs don't grow, tables don't grow, rocks don't grow, because they are they exist, but they're not growing. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who are animated, but they're not growing, <laughs> you know, uh, which is the metaphor of the zombie. 
they're animated, but they're not alive. So, yeah. so, so my, my, my larger point is you're right. Things have happened to you, choices you've made, things that people have done to you, conditions we were born in. We have no control over that. But the one thing we always have control of, and we have a responsibility to assert that control, if we consider ourselves grown, which I differentiate from adults, is I am going to grow from this and I am going to be accountable for the relationship I have with myself and therefore the choices I make going forward. Um, as my wife always says, as long as you can breathe and learn, it can get better. But you got to yeah. do that. Yeah, I like that. I like that. No, listen, I, I completely agree. And then, you know, shifting gears even more, right, when we talk about the idea of truly understanding self and and especially a lot of people out here nowadays, including myself, are entrepreneurs. If you don't have an idea of who you are prior to, for, regardless of being an entrepreneur, just having a career in general, if you don't have an idea of who you are, you will find yourself becoming burned out, right? We see that's been added to as a, as a, as a disorder now, burnout. It's something that social workers we've experienced for I think since what, the beginning forever. of time. Right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But now it's being recognized. But I think part of that is there's not an awareness of self. So personal story, you know, I worked in child welfare um, here in Philadelphia for DHS. It's similar to Dyfus in New York and whatever it is, uh, Dyfus in Jersey, whatever it is in New York. And it got to the point where after four and a half years, I said, listen, I can't do this anymore, right? I was responsible for 100 and something kids. I had 15 50 cases on my caseload. I'm investigating child abuse and neglect. Therapy wasn't being pushed by the higher-ups, right, or by the agency. And so it got to the point where I had a dream one night, and I, it was a traumatic dream that woke me up. And so I went in there that next day, and I said, here's my, here's my, here's my resignation letter. She was like, you don't want to give two weeks notice? I said, no, if something brings me back here, then that means something went wrong in my life. Because I recognized that I was burned out, I couldn't do it anymore, and my wellness was being jeopardized. And I see that so often uh, with entrepreneurs especially, and that's yeah. why the rates of depression, uh, the rates of suicide, and then just high-pressure jobs like lawyers or what have you, they're much higher than the average population. Because I, I think uh, a lot of it is um, not having awareness of self. And so what that looks like is you're attaching yourself to the outcome. Right. So if you don't get a sale, you, you take it as a personal affront instead of it just yeah, being, OK, yeah. you know what? That's the bit. That's not me. That's not a character deficit. That's not a skill deficit. Right. But that's just the ebb and flows of what comes with it. So right. with you being a both an entrepreneur and having um, uh, a quote unquote, I don't want to say a traditional job. Right. And, and, and managing mm -hmm. both. What has been your experience with regards to mental health? Um, between the two and, and trying to manage that? Well, the life I live now is a direct result of, of getting to near breakdown after a, a really traumatic marriage. A, like that was, a, that was a, the sum total of the choices I've made in relationships since I was 14. Um, just, you know, led to a catastrophic set of choices in a very toxic unhealth, and unhealthy marriage. And I'm not putting it all on the other person. The, the other person may have brought their issues to the table, but my unhealthy approach to why I, I chose relationships and what I thought about love um, led me to that point. And it pushed me to psychological, economic, <laughs> emotional. It, it was a come to Jesus moment in terms of who are you, man? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you? Yeah. And, and I tell people, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, knowing yourself. At some point, you have to decide in, in a real serious way that you're going to love yourself unconditionally. And when I say that, I mean literally like as I was coming out of this period, which is now maybe 11 or 12 years ago now, I, 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 one of the examples, I would literally take my favorite love songs and instead of thinking of them in terms of somebody else, I would put my own name in it and until, and until and I, and get, so I can get comfortable with saying those words of devotion and commitment and oh my God, to myself. Because yeah. once I was able to do that, then the, the choices that I made before that point were very, very different than the choices I made for myself after that point. Um, and things like being able to walk away from a job you know is killing you. When you don't love yourself, you think I can't do this, I shouldn't do this. 
You don't put yourself, you know, you put yourself first and all, I put myself first in all things ahead of my wife, yeah. ahead of my children. Having trouble hearing you. Not sure. Um, coming out of that, that Trump, that trauma, and I'm talking about this is about 2006, 2007, when I was, say I was conscious journey, that part of my journey, I started saying, suppose you did exactly what you really wanted to do. Not just with, you know, this marriage that you're ending, but suppose for once in your life, you didn't focus on pleasing other people, because I'm a, a recovering people pleaser. And you really said, I'm going to do, as long as it doesn't hurt or violate anybody else, you're going to do exactly what the love of your life wants to do, what Alfred wants to do. So I tell people, the love of your life is not out there. <laughs> you are the love of your life. Mm -hmm. But if you don't treat yourself that way, you won't make the right choices. And that yeah. led to me making decisions about what I wanted my career to look like. That led to me making better decisions in dating. Not that I didn't make some mistakes after that, but I, my first real healthy relationship is with my wife, Zara who I would never would have even taken seriously if I hadn't decided to make these other decisions. And, you know, so, yeah. you know, we've been together, you know, um, 10 years this coming September, or November was that we committed to each other, but we've known each other for over 10 years. It was my, and, and so the, the work you see me doing, I'm at Black Enterprise because I love being at Black Enterprise and I, I, I'm doing what I want to do. I do Grown Zone because that's yeah. what I really want to do. Um, my first thing in bodybuilding, I tried to squeeze it in the margins. I kind of enjoyed it, but I wasn't. This time, I'm like, no, you want to see how far you can push this because you love doing this. And when yeah. people say, how do you have time to do that? I do a radio show called Be Lifted Up Radio, um, B, um, Letter B, Lifted Up Radio, which is a finance and faith-based radio show. Um, it's new, so it's, it's here in, Newark, in the New York, New York area on WLIB in, in New York, but it's being syndicated around the country. My point is people look at all the things that I do and they think I'm doing a billion different things. And I'm like, the reason I can do all the stuff that I do is that, that I have no problem saying no to what I don't want to do. People I yeah. don't want to talk to people. I don't want to spend time with, you know? And, and so I live a life and when, you know, when I say it's good to be me, um, I live a great life. And, it's, and when I say a great life, it doesn't mean I don't have bad days and things don't go wrong. And there are times that I'm pissed and, times I'm disappointed and times that I let, let myself down and let other people down. The point is everything that I do is because I want to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in guilt. I don't believe in shame. I don't practice it on myself or others. I don't do things out of obligation. If you're doing it out of, if you can do it out of obligation or you can do it out of love, you can't do both. Yeah. And once yeah. you make that decision that I'm only going to do what I really, really want to do, not what other people think I should do, not what my mama would want me to do, not what all black people do, not what all black men do, not what all men do, you know, all of those things that people say, well, you got to do this because you're that. Yeah. Um, true happiness, and, and too many of us find out the hard way, and burnout is one of, the, one of the ways we find out, but it's not the only way. We've been taught that happiness is about what we do. You know, if, if we, you know finding your passion and doing your passion. That's what you should do. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to bring about happiness. It's going to bring about yeah. happiness. And, and, I, and I, I wrote a post about this at, at, at GrownZone.com, and I'll share it on, 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 on social media. You'll see it. Um, that happiness is not about loving what you do. That's a trap. Happiness is about loving who you are, ardently, passionately loving who you are on any given day. And that's an active yeah. thing. That's not a passive thing. Because and, and we, we both know, um, you know, I have friends and colleagues, not friends and colleagues, friends and acquaintances who are professional athletes and former professional athletes. You know, and I know what it means when they, they stop playing and they don't know who they are. You know, they, they're like, they literally like what I, I thought I was a football player. I'm not a football player anymore. Who and am then I? They, they try to figure out who they are. And then that's yeah. when we see them spiraling, spiraling out, out of control. control. You know, and it's, no not just, yeah, so. it's not just famous athletes. You know, you have people tell me, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a mother and I'll be a mother for the rest of my life. Like, no, you're, you know, what happens when your kids don't need you anymore? And you see you yeah. know, parents getting depressed because their kids don't need them anymore. And they wrap their whole identity in, I'm a mother, or I'm a father. Or they literally hold their children back. They stunt their children's growth to maintain that level of dependence because they, 
they wrapped up their whole value of themselves as human beings and being a mother of this person or a parent. Is, you know, so it's not about loving what you do. What you do is going to change over time. Someday I'm not going to be the edit, executive editor at large at Black Enterprise. I'm, you know, someday I'm not going to be somebody that people want on their podcast <laughs> to talk about stuff. <laughs> Some, you know, someday I'm not going to be a bodybuilder. Someday I'm not, you know, someday, but I'm always going to be me. And I always go back to always loving my, remembering that when I came into this world, when I was born, before I knew about any of this other stuff about my parents and my race and my gender and my, you know, my career and body. I, when I looked in the mirror when I was a baby, I loved everything I saw. Mm. Because nobody had told me that I shouldn't. Yeah, I get it. I I, I get it. And I stay in that space. I, I stay in that space of always remembering, no matter what I do, no matter what happens to me, other people can stop loving me, and they they have the right to do that. But I'm never going to stop actively loving, remembering who I was when I was a baby, looking in the mirror, thinking, "Wow, this is some amazing stuff. I, this is perfect. What could be better yeah. than you know?" And everybody has a right to feel that way because we're your we, person, which is not your body your person that the you you know you are inside is the most mm-hmm. valuable thing in the universe. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it doesn't stop being valuable because you were divorced or you killed somebody or you, you know, you, you um, lost your job or your kids don't, you know, think of all the reasons why people hate themselves. They got a sexually transmitted disease or they, you know, they, they uh, used to be a prostitute or none of that stuff diminishes your intrinsic value as a human being. But what happens yeah. is we live in a society that convinces us that we are disposable and that we can make mistakes or make choices that eliminates or diminishes our value. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, you know, again, we're in the times of cancel culture where, you know, one mistake, you know, one misstep, two missteps even, yes. uh, you know, that can be it for you. And so I'm such a, a proponent of teachable moments, the idea that Yes, you can make mistakes. That's not to say there won't be consequences, right? There can right, be right. consequences. There but nobody's above re- being rehabilitated because if that's the case, then, you know, 99.9% of us would be discarded, right? Yes. And so, you know, that's why it's, it's so critical that we keep that in mind and we do have grace for others and we do have grace for ourselves, which is extremely difficult for a lot of people. Again, it's something that I'm working through. I took a, a self-compassion quiz at selfcompassion.org. And the results were were frightening. It showed that I wasn't as compassionate to myself as I am with other people. And how and what that looks like is, you know, it manifests itself through through. And we all have negative thoughts, but then we fall down that rabbit hole, right? Because, yes. Because, uh, you know, it's like it can be a self fulfilling prophecy. Then it it just starts looking and feeling a way that's not conducive for us to live healthy, thriving lives. So I, I do want to get to, because you, you said you know, that you say no, right, to preserve your wellness. And I think that's such a critical a critical point, especially as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm starting to learn myself the importance of saying, you know what, no, I cannot do that, right? The, the, the monetary, the money might not be there, the timing time might not be right, but I recognize how important it is to say no, because you can run yourself ragged, right? If you don't, if you don't make those decisions, if you feel that you're worth something, that's one of the reasons why I like Nipsey Hussle. I didn't listen to his music prior to his death, God bless the dead. But the idea that he said, listen, I'm going to sell my mixtape for $100, right? You're either going to buy it or you're, or you're not. not. I'm not. I know who I am. I know my worth. There's going to be some people who are like, yo, we rich and rotten. And it's going to be people who are like, him and Hall. That's okay if you want to him and Hall, right? But that clearly means that you're not. You're not for me, and I'm not for yeah. you, right? I tell people so, there's no shame in me right. setting my price, and there's no shame in you saying I'm not willing to pay it. There's no shame. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's no shame in me saying this is what I charge for that, and there's no shame in you saying I'm not willing to pay that. You know, And, 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 yeah. and here's how far I go now with the word no. I don't tell people I can't. You know, I don't – I tell people I won't, meaning – I, I evolved, and I didn't start out this way. It took me years to get there. Where, yeah, 
you know, and I say there are things I can't do. There are things that I've never done. There are things that I may, that I may never do, but there's nothing that I can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not true when somebody says, uh, can you um, come speak for my group for free? I could do it. It's not true if I tell them I can't. It's not true. You know, yeah. but we say we can't almost to make an excuse for doing, you know what I'm saying? And I don't do that anymore. So, no, I was like, no, I won't. I won't do that, uh, you know. Yeah. Or, or, or I will do that. But not I can't because it's not true that I can't. And, and, and it's all about taking ownership of an agency of your right to spend your time, your money, your energy, which are finite. You got 24 hours in a day. You got so much energy you can, you know, so many calories you can burn to get, some yeah. you know, energy's yeah. real. You got 20, you know, you, you have a right to decide how you want to spend it, you know. Um, and and I, I remember when I was first um, a manager at Black Enterprise, my first time really running a large staff when I was made uh, a top editor, you know, in 1995. And I had this thing where, and I was, I was married with children, but the assumption made by people that if somebody was single with no kids, they should be the ones to work late and the people with married with kids to be allowed to go home at the end of the day. If, if I'm like, just because you're single and no children doesn't, or, or you're married with children, doesn't make your time any more valuable than the person who's single with no children. Yeah. That's not fair. You know, if the person just wants to go home and hang upside down in their closet, that's their time. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I just believe that you, after a while, you got to build the courage to say no without excuses, without explanation, without justification, because you have a right to. You, you, you own yourself. Yeah. You, you don't yeah. have to. Yeah. You don't owe it to anybody else. And, and, and my, my kids have heard this a million times when I was raising them. They're all grown. My youngest are in their late 20s now. Uh, and they'll laugh because they used to hate it when I said it. Uh, I would say to them, when I, they asked me for something, I'd say no. And they'd say, but why? But why? And I would say, when I say yes, you don't question my judgment. You just accept it. So don't question my judgment when I but say now no. You want a, now you want a full-blown <laughs> explanation and exactly. reason as to why. And yeah. I now, now I apply that with everything in my life. I explain if I want to explain. If I explain, it's out of love, not out of obligation. But, but if I say mm. no, I, ain't gotta, I don't have to justify why I won't do it. I'm, I have yeah. a right to do that. And, and, and people taking true ownership of themselves, which is our, another definition of what we mean by grown, and, 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 and saying, no, I am owner of me. I am in charge of me. I'm the boss of me. It, 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 and, and it's something that black people and women in particular, they're not the only ones. We live in a society that tells us <laughs> we don't belong to ourselves. I mean, just take the whole battle between NFL players and owners is about who, you know, that there's a plantation mentality around mm-hmm. that that's different than the NBA around what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And, 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 and a big part of, of uh, sexual harassment, whether it's male to female, female to female, male to male, you know, you know, I agree with you that it, the gender thing doesn't change the larger dynamic of harassment. Yeah. Um, exactly. But no matter what it is, it's one person saying, basically, I own you and you have to do what I say you have to do, whether you want to or not. And, and this is very critical that, that we, um, and, I, and, I, you know, and I try to do this with my children, to say, you own you. I don't own you as your father. You own you. you you're in charge of you. And at some point, when you become an adult, my stewardship over you as a minor child will end and then mm-hmm. you have a right to say no. Yeah. You know, yeah. my kids yeah. tell me no all the time. <laughs> yeah, as as does as does my daughter. As does yeah. my daughter. Now and what and with that being said, you know, especially the idea of masculinity and how that idea um continues to evolve. Um and it was put on full display. I, um was that yesterday? Yesterday it was put on full display where I was sitting outside my, my favorite bookstore reading a book, and it was a young lady. She was attractive. Um, I, you know, I definitely noticed her. Uh, she was across the street. And I hear two, two brothers, two older gentlemen walking down. One guy is across the street making, making rude comments towards her. Uh, you know, they weren't close enough for me to say something. And so he did that walking down the street. And then 
in turn, she came across the street to go back into the bookstore, and there was a car coming there beeping, her, beeping their horn. And I was just like, you know, again, I, I, I attribute it to my growth, and I'm just like, Sister, I apologize. You had to experience that because I felt uncomfortable. Right. Right. I felt like this, uh, you know, I, it's happened to me um, over the years, maybe once or twice, but nothing even to the extent of this. Right. So I recognize how one could potentially feel. And so to be, for, to experience that on a daily basis, it's, it's unfortunate. And so that's why I'm so glad that we're starting to see this, you know, people being held accountable, men in particular. Uh, for how they're how they're showing up in this world, and it's just like no, these behaviors are no longer acceptable. Unfortunately, you know, when we talk about from the top, you know, in the, yeah. the guy who's in the White House, it's unfortunate for sure. But um, but what are you, just your thoughts about how we're starting to evolve as society with regards to that idea of masculinity? I, I, I'm very encouraged by it. Um... And, and in the grown zone, again, since we're talking about relationships, we go back to what were boys, in this case, taught about what manhood is and what girls are taught about what to expect from men, starting when they're, when they're children. And unfortunately, a lot of those lessons come from the people and institutions we're taught to trust. Um, and I'm going to use an example of the church um, and, and this whole idea that men are hunters and, and my thing is, if you, if you position men as hunters, because that's the mentality when an attractive woman walks down the street, or you're giving her a compliment when you tell her how fine she is, and you give her a compliment when you're like, oh, I sure would like to hit that. You know, all those things that we're... Yeah. I was taught by my uncles that, you know, this is what you... This is you. You, you, you supposed to bag that, honey. You know, you supposed to... You know, and it's this whole mentality that... that, that, that what, what, what we call benign predatory behavior is acceptable. <laughs> that the benignness of it makes the predatory part acceptable. And yeah. so I, I yeah. have this thing where, where uh, you know, this whole idea that, that, that I've heard preached from pulpits. Oh, men are hunters and women are, you know, and I just, if you say men are hunters, aren't you saying women are prey? Prey, yeah. And if you, and if you but they, oh, no, that's not what we mean. I said, but you can't avoid that. And then I take it back, you know, I take it back to, uh, uh, you know, the whole Adam and Eve, uh, you know, uh, uh, story. And I'm like, Adam's original job was not hunting. He was a gardener. He, was, he wasn't put there to be his prey or his servant or his, he was put, she was put there for partnership and companionship. Yeah. So this idea that, you know, Eve was not a conquest of Adam. Women aren't there to be the conquest of men. Human beings aren't, de aren't designed, no matter what you believe, and you don't have to, you can be totally agnostic, we weren't designed to hunt each other. That's not a healthy yeah. archetype of behavior on any level. Yeah. Yet, yeah. Yet churches, some relationship experts, the you know, schools, parents, you know, I know what my uncles and my father, um that, let me take that back. My father and my father figure never told me that. But I had uncles, one uncle in particular that was like pulling me aside, see that? I'm I'm like eleven. <laughs> Here's what you see that girl over there? You know, you never turn down any sex. You, you, you know, he didn't say sex. You know, where he, you know what I'm saying? Think of all the things yeah. that, we, that we're told either directly or indirectly, whether it's a James Bond movie, where James Bond is James Bond because any chick uh -huh. he wants, he can bag her. He even can have, gonna, yeah. Even if he's going to kill her 15 minutes later. You know, think of all of that. And, and so my thing is, I am encouraged because there are people like you and a whole bunch of other, both men and women, who are challenging some of the traditional notions of what about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a healthy male and what that means in terms of human interaction, but, or not, but, and I am personally passionate about going back to challenge certain institutions, challenge so-called conventional wisdom, whether it comes out of the church, out of a relationship book, out of uh, schools or whatever, that planted those unhealthy seeds of toxic behavior when we were yeah. boys uh, you know, and I speak particularly as a, as a black boy growing up in a in a black you know community where most of the unhealthy things I was taught about how to interact with women were taught to to me not just by men but by women. You know how many uh -huh. black mamas told you know, tell their daughters keep your legs closed, but they're proud about how their boys are like. Look, everybody wants my boy. Everybody wants yeah. That, you yep. know, 
you know, yeah. it, 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 so, so, so I think I'm very encouraged. And, and I, and I, but I, I think it's going to force us to have to be very, very honest about, um, you know, you know, all kinds of things. We, we could do a whole other show about the whole R. Kelly situation and the key <laughs> that uh, led to that, that, that uh, disaster. But, but yeah. I'm very encouraged that we're having these conversations. Um, at, at Black Men Excel, when we, where we met face-to-face finally last year, and we did that, uh, that big session on um, mental health and black men, and there must yeah. be like 600 people in the room. And my thing was like, I remember pitching an idea like that at one of our conferences 10 years ago. And it didn't even get out of the discussion stage. And because mm. it was like, you know, you couldn't get 30 men, you know, you can get 15 men in the room to talk about that, much less <laughs> 600. And in front of women, yeah. too. So I looked yeah. at that and I'm like, in the meeting you and I met through BE Modern Man, I must know 40 or 50 brothers who are doing the kind of work that you're doing. And, and that was unheard of. First of all, you know what I'm saying? So, so I'm very, very encouraged. And that, that's why when I see what you're doing, and I got to get down to Philly to one of your, your, your group sessions. Oh yeah, Dude, and, and, and definitely. To. It's and and it's it, you know it's maybe maybe sometime in September because that's when we'll be having the one year anniversary as long as everything goes right. Um, but yeah, you know it's a, it's it's something that's necessary. On, on my previous podcast, I just talked about you know, my experience and just trying to navigate this idea of manhood void of uncles, void of a of a father. Uh, I mean, I had a father figure, but we didn't have right. I had a stepfather. We didn't really have much information. So everything that I was getting would be from friends or their father or um, or hip-hop. You know, and that's why yeah. I'm so yeah. critical of hip-hop to this day. Um, I have such a love-hate relationship because I was, you know, now I'm dating a, a, a beautiful chocolate sister. But there was a period of time there was no way I would talk to a, a dark-skinned uh, black woman. Right, oh, yeah. and it's just because of the imagery that was being pushed to me when it because I came up big during the video, uh, video era, music video era. So everything, you know, the girl wavy, wavy hair, light skin, and so you know now it's just important for me to continue to literally have this conversation where you know brothers can can be challenged. I think that's that's one thing that I'm big on, big on challenging brothers in their thought process. Um, because we, we have all been conditioned, you know, Black Star, the most deaf, because our conditions have been conditioned, right? Well, yeah, I think yeah. it came from school days. But, um, you know, it's like, because it's, it's, it's necessary that we, we have this shift. If we're talking about longevity, if we talk about the, the Black family, no matter what that Black family looks like right. and why it's so important for us to continue on um, in, a, in a more healthier way, we're at a perfect time where if we can really shift this idea of masculinity then that can truly begin to to help us heal from the generational trauma that we've experienced over time. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, and I, I'm appreciative that, you know, you know, I, I have my platform and your platform is larger. Um, and I'm glad you're saying, you know what, this is what I believe in. This is who I am, right? This is this is how I'm showing up in the world to let people know, and I'm going to use my platform to 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 spread the importance of. Um, um, just wellness in general. So I, I appreciate you for that. We only got a few minutes left. Oh, we won't get cut off. But you know, I want you just to briefly talk about um, your event that's taking place um, on on June thirteenth, correct? Yes, June thirteenth, Thursday at the um, Paul Robeson Campus Center at Rutgers University in Newark. Um, you can go to grownzone.com forward slash success series. That's grownzone.com forward slash success series to register. If you registered between today and Friday, that's tomorrow, right? Maybe I'll go to go to Saturday. You could also get a chance to get a complimentary registration to our forward conference in Charlotte, which is taking place in a few weeks, which is our major national entrepreneurs conference. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, that's an incentive to, you know, to register soon because I have a certain number of free passes to that conference. But, but, but the, the point of it is that it's a masterclass series where I teach everything that I've learned over the last 35 going on 40 years about success as defined by financial success, business success, relationships, um, and, and, and around this idea that much of what we're being taught, as I said earlier in our conversation, by the so-called experts that sounds good, doesn't work in real life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and 
because of the, the, the entrepreneurs that I've gotten to know and, and, and executives and successful people in all walks of life. And if you follow me on social media, you, you, you know, you can get a glimpse of that. Um, I've, I've accumulated a tremendous amount of knowledge and information about what works and what doesn't work. And so my thing is, I always wanted to teach a class that when people really want to be successful, but they want to cut through the bullshit or not be distracted by the bullshit, because there's a lot of it out there about yeah. what it takes to, to be, build wealth and be happy and, and to be successful and to, to love your own life. Um, this class is designed to do that. And, and the goal is to do it um, at least once a month. Um, I've already gotten invitations to take it to Atlanta and Chicago. So hopefully that can happen by 2020. But it really is meant to be a class, not a lecture, a class where I literally teach what I know works because I know the people um, ranging from people like the late Reginald F. Lewis to, you know, Kathy Hughes to, I mean, being a black enterprise for, for 30 plus years has afforded me one-on-one -on -one access and, and conversation with some of the most successful people um, in every industry and in every profession who also were very honest with me about the mistakes they've made with their mental health, their relationship choices, et cetera, et cetera. And while I won't be outing people about some of these things, yeah. you know, what I know doesn't just come from my own personal experience. It comes from 30 years of watching careers rise and fall, companies rise and fall, um, people win and lose, and, and, uh, and understanding the behind-the-scenes story of how that happens. So the curriculum is designed to help people learn what they need to know to really succeed and not to be distracted or, or, or misled by what passes as conventional wisdom in this era of um, marketing success. I mean, especially driven by social media. People look at a meme. Yeah. And some of that stuff people post as memes, and I'm like, that ain't true. That just ain't true. It's Listen, not real I, good. But it ain't yeah. true. And yeah, people, it's, you know, talk about how to, how to put it into practice, right? It sounds good on a meme. Yeah. You know, healing and everything sounds great on the main, but when you talk about having to do it, you know, entrepreneurialism, no matter what it is, it's hard as hell to really yeah. put it into action. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's, so, that's, so, that's great so, to hear. so the idea is to cut through that. And again, anybody who really is, here's the question that I, I ask myself even when I put the thing together. There are people who, who are, based on what they're being told, are doing everything right and it's still not working. Mm. And and what we when, when that happens, we assume it's because of, us it's us what we need to do is challenge whether what we're being told is the right thing and so a big yeah. part of the class is challenging things like uh getting a high credit score is a wealth building you know activity there's yeah. no correlation between your credit score and your capacity to create wealth but mm -hmm. equifax wants you to believe that and friends you want to believe that why do they want you to believe that because they're selling credit reports <laughs> Yeah, or, yeah, you know, selling, yeah, yeah. selling credit repair. And so now you think, yeah. oh, if I don't get I have a 700 credit score, you know, I must be doing something wrong. And, yeah. that's and, a then, that turns into, and then that turns into, you know, I'm not worth anything because yes. I don't have a 700, 800 credit score. And, 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 again, and then if you're not worth anything, why even try to be successful? Exactly, exactly. So, 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 it, it, so it, it's about that. I, I want to set people free wherever they are in, in their life entrepreneurs, professionals, students, whoever, to say, let's get past the BS to what really matters in terms of your desire to be successful, however you define success. And, and, okay. and, and so it's going to be, it's going to be research back, fact back, you know, not just, you know, nice quotes and sayings that sound good. Um, and yeah. I read it in the book. Some people can reach me anywhere on social media at Alfred Edmund Jr. A-L-F-R-E-D, E-D-M-O-N-D-J-R on Instagram, Twitter. Um, they can DM me if we're connected. Um, I respond to everybody unless you're really aggravating. <laughs> so I'm very, <laughs> I'm very accessible. Everybody knows I love social media and I'm on it all the time. Um, but also you can email me at alfred at grownzone.com. Um, that's A-L-F-R-E-D at grownzone.com. And, uh, and, and definitely I hope to see as many people as can get there on June 13th, Thursday, that's a week from today, um, for my GrownZone.com um, Destination Success Series. You can go to GrownZone.com forward slash success series and um, register to attend and, and learn more about um, what's going to be happening there um, on June 13th. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop this on Monday. So, or it's Sunday or Monday. So, you know, I have some days. 
so the people who are tuning in, who tune in via iTunes or SoundCloud or what have you, they'll have an opportunity to potentially sign up. So we'll get it out soon. I appreciate it. Listen, as always, I appreciate you. yeah, I don't even know what else to say. You know, it's, it's a lot that I can say, but I, I just want to say, listen, I appreciate you for being, you know, a, a positive and a healthy role model for, for brothers like myself and other brothers with whom I, I've come in contact with as a result of, of, you know, you and the work that you're doing at, at Black Enterprise. So it definitely means a lot to me. So I thank you. No doubt, no doubt. And I feel feel the same way about you, man. Feel the same way about you. Okay. Yep. All right, brother. All right, bro. All right, talk to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Peace.